Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. I'm excited about revival. I don't know that I've ever been to downtown. How do you pronounce this place? No, I, heard, I saw that here on the sign. What's it called? Yamacraw. Where's the best place to eat lunch in Yamacraw? We're looking and we ain't seen the place yet, but I'm glad to be here. Just want to give you something. How many math majors are in the room? You know math. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little math lesson because this is what revival can look like. All right, I've, I've counted and there's roughly 75 people in the building. And of course, by the time I get home, I say it's pushing 100. But anyway, by the way, I love what you're doing with your hair these days. It's pretty. Um, anyway. So there's 75 people here. Now, if you'll come back tonight, and I know you will because there's nothing on TV to watch. Was there a ball game last night? Who won? Did they win? I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. I knew UVA didn't, but that's all I knew. Anyhow, so if you'll come back tonight and you bring one person with you, just one, not 10, not 15, just one person, that means tonight how many people will be here? 150. That's good. Y'all have done good. Give yourselves a hand. That was bad. Okay, so tomorrow night, you're going to come back, and all the people that are here tonight, you and your one visitor, they're going to come back tomorrow night and bring just one person, not five, not ten, not twenty, just one person back within tomorrow night. Now, here's where it gets a little tougher on the math. How many people will be here tomorrow night? Three hundred. is less people knew it, but the ones that write it, write it right. So three hundred tomorrow night. Isn't that amazing? In downtown, how you say it again? Yom Crawl. Yom Crawl. Yom Crawl. All right. That's strange. Um, so that means tomorrow night, Monday night, in downtown Yamakura, we're going to have 300 people at church. I know what some of you are saying. Well, I don't know where we're going to put all these people. Y'all get them here and we'll figure it out. So that means on Tuesday night, we're going to do the same thing. Tuesday night, how many people are going to be here? Wednesday night. Can you imagine how many people are going to be here? 1,200 people in downtown Yamakura for revival. All because every night you came and brought one person with you. You see, ain't that simple? It's, that's truly simple. Now, I'll admit, I've preached a lot of revivals over the years, and I've done this little illustration, and I hadn't seen it happen yet. But I'm going to keep on trying, and uh, I'm grateful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given me to come and to share your word. Father, I pray that uh, you would be glorified this week, Father, that the saints of God would be unified, that, Father, your will would be accomplished, Lord, that it would be more than just a series of meetings that we can say, check that box off, we had revival. But God, truly, we would be a revived people. Father, I pray for lost people that might be saved people, for saved people that might be fired up in such a way that it would radically change not only this little community, but communities all around. Father, homes of people that desperately need to hear the gospel. Father, I pray you'd begin even this morning. Speak to our hearts. Give us wisdom as we peruse your word and that it would teach us. We are a needy, a hungry, a desperate people. Lord, so I pray that you'd meet every need. Fill this place as never before. In the presence of Jesus we come. Thankfully, his sweet name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered why people come to church? As we were making our way from downtown White Lake to downtown Yamakura, uh, whatever, um, we noticed there's a lot of churches. And some churches are big and some churches are small. Some churches are brick and some churches are clad with white boards. But at the end of the day, every church had something in common, and that is people were going into those churches. And every person going in, I wonder, why are they there? Why do people come to church? And as we begin our time together of revival, I'll ask you, why are you here? 
And if you're not back tonight, we're going to go to your house, me and Roger, and we're going to knock on your door and say, why won't you here, all right? So it'd be just easier if y'all would come here so we don't have to go all over the place hunting y'all. So come back tonight. It's a little bit lighter later so you can get here and I'll get you home before dark, amen? But why do we come to church? This morning, I want us to look at our attention Turn to Mark chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, and simple message simply entitled, Some Came Searching. Some came searching. I believe this morning there are probably people in this church and every other church, by the way, that just really made me want to say Shazam and golly and well, doggies. I'm going to take that with me. I'm going to use that. All right. Because I didn't see it until I wouldn't have seen it if I'd have believed it. So I believe this morning that sometimes people come to the church simply to practice their rituals. It's what we've always done. Sometimes you ask people, why do you go to church and say, well, I've gone to church since I was a baby. Our children were in church the first Sunday they were alive. Even on a couple of cases, I had to talk the doctor into letting Tiffany out of the hospital on Sunday morning so I could drag my kids to church on their first Sunday so I could always throw it up in their face. Boy and, and girl, you were in church since the very first Sunday you were alive. I've always gone. I'm just going doing what I've always done. And I always think, well, I'm glad your mom and daddy didn't raise you to be a Satan worshiper because I reckon you'd just be doing that today if you're just going to do what you've always done. Sometimes I believe people go to church to promote their reputation. It makes me look good in the community. It builds up my business. I'll get more sales. I'll be more popular. I'll win an election. So, So maybe I'm there to promote myself, my own reputation. Or maybe, possibly, we go to church to praise our Redeemer. Verse 1, Mark chapter 2. And again, Jesus entered into Capernaum after some days. It was noise that he was in the house. I like that part. It simply says that the presence of God spread amongst the community. Can I tell you something? You do not have to advertise the fire. People will come to watch something burn. They will. In fact, sometimes we may limit ourselves by saying, well, we're in a small community. I want to tell you something, friend. We have a church in New York City, and uh, say that with me. One, two, three. That was bad, (laughs) y'all. New York City, and when I go up there and we have events and we try to have Bible school and we try to do other ministries, it's tough because you try getting the word out to people who are eight million strong in that great big old place. It's hard. But something's going on in a small town. It's not that hard to get the word out. In Capernaum, it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. And straightway, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as even about the door. And Jesus preached the word unto them. I still believe that it's the preaching of the word that will draw the masses. Verse three. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, four men and a cripple. I think that'd be a great movie. And when they could not come into the house for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. There's a lot in this story that I'm confused about. I wonder about the homeowner. If he was going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My wife just redecorated this house and picked these beautiful beams up. I love it, by the way. You can see in here. It's bright. We ought to do this in our living room. I won't walk around bumping into things and stepping on the little dog. But anyhow, can you imagine that homeowner all of a sudden the roof's being broken apart? 
I want to tell you something. When Jesus is in the house, the last thing you're worried about is the roof. But anyway, the Bible said, and they begin letting this man down. I think it's interesting that man could not get in there by himself. There are people in Yamacraw. Am I close? You look like it pained me. It pains you when I said it. So. There are people that are not going to come into this place unless somebody bring them. Continue looking. When Jesus saw the faith of these men, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Oh, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there. There are always some there. Always critics, always cynics, always those looking for reasons to complain. I've been a pastor a long time. It's always the same ones. They'll come to me and say, Pastor, oh my goodness. Now that's one way to do it. Left me a clock right up here, big as all outdoors. Oh, anyway, who left that? Oh. I can take a hint. I won't, I won't charge you no overtime. Anyhow, there's always those then in the church that will come and say, Preacher, I hate to be the one to complain. I just stop and I go, No, you don't. I've known you 20 years. That's all you've ever done is complain. It's your specialty. I think you majored in it in college, complaining 101. Anyway, there were those. Look, And the Bible says that they began reasoning in their hearts. Now get this, y'all. I don't like all too many too far from you. All right. Notice it says they were reasoning in their hearts. They felt justified. They were saying, well, I've just got a problem with this. They've let this poor man down through the roof, broken up this guy's roof, and they're letting him down. And now Jesus has told him his sins can be forgiven. He ought not have done that. He ought not have done that. Continue looking. And the Bible says, while there were certain men there and reasoning in their hearts, this is what they were reasoning. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately, I like this part, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why are you reasoning these things in your heart? Can you imagine the look on their face? Like, Ooh. Young people, y'all ever been somewhere y'all weren't supposed to be and your mom and daddy walked in and caught you? And you're just like busted. These men knew that something about this man Jesus, that he knew what they were thinking. Because at this point in the story, they hadn't said a word. They were just reasoning within themselves. You know, continue looking. Jesus says, is it easier to say the sick of the palsy, your sins are forgiven thee, or to say arise and take up their bed? But so that you will know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins... He turned to the man sick of the palsy and said, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen it this way before. Wow. Here's my prayer is that this week, these five services, that it would be said, not, boy, that preacher preaches long, loud, or whatever. Not that, boy, we had a great meeting. Boy, we had some great singing. We're not going to eat this week, are we? Most places I go, they feed me. But anyway, we had some great food, or we had some great fellowship. But But that at the end of the week, somebody would walk away saying, that's amazing. What we've seen and what we've witnessed and what we've experienced is something that only God can do. I want to give you three things this morning because I got, I think, 21 more minutes and we got to go eat. All right. So here we go. Three things to consider this morning. Number one, some people came searching for a miracle. 
Some people came searching for a miracle. When you look at this house, the Bible said that it was so filled that there was not room to even get in the building. Not even to get at the door and peer around others. It's not the only time this would happen. You know the story of Zacchaeus who was a wee little man and had to climb up in a tree so he could see Jesus. So everywhere Jesus went there was a mob. But some people on this particular occasion, I believe they're We're searching for a miracle. Now, I believe there are two types of people that come searching for a miracle. Number one are the sincere seekers. There are people here today who are in need of something that only the Lord Jesus Christ can give. We have four children. We pray every day that God would do things in their life that as mom and daddy we can't. That's something only Jesus can do. There are people here today that are struggling with a sickness or or struggling with an emotional issue or an issue at work or at home or wherever it might be. And you're truly seeking after something. There's a sincerity. You've come out of a sense of desperation. There were people there like the woman with the issue of blood that had just grabbed and said, I've reached for everything in the world and come up empty handed. But when she touched the very hem of his garment, she realized there was power in that man of Jesus. There are the sincere searchers. But then there are also some show searchers. Now what do I mean by that? We're living in a day where church now is a product that's being offered. Now let me just say, I pastor what you would consider to be a a more contemporary church. I I don't preach in a suit and we have an open air type church during the summer and and people come in and uh, they're on vacation and things like that and our music is quite a bit more contemporary and uh, those kind of things. And and I, so I'm I'm sensitive to the fact that that doing church a little differently is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. But if it becomes about a show, then it's definitely a bad thing. Well, we need to offer a product that will attract more people, and and we need to do something so that we can get more of the young people. You know what I've found that appeals to both young and old, rich and poor, of all races and ethnic backgrounds, and that's simply preaching the truth of the Word of God. But there are those that come to church and say, I want to show. Now, now think about this. How about them young people's church? I got a friend that pastors a church up in Fayetteville and uh, he was losing some of his younger members to one of the more, um, ultimately, uh, very, very contemporary churches. And, and so they sent some guys and said, we just want to kind of see how the other church is doing things. And he went in and they got smoke machines and it's a very dark room and they got the lights flashing and all. So my, my pastor friend, his name's Jeff. He went back and he said, we need to start an ultra contemporary service. So they started it at 11 11. Great time. Young people are like that. Just sounds kind of neat, you know. So they started it and, and they, and they got where the, 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 the windows were darkened out and, and they had the smoke machines and the strobe lights and the things like that. But he forgot something and that is the vast majority, over 90% of his church are military. And they've been doing this service for about a month and the military guys were not coming and the service just was a flop. And he, he said, what's wrong? And some of the military guys came and said, we tried it. But our PTSD will not allow us to sit in that room with all the flashing lights and the smoke and the sounds and it's dark. We can't handle it. And he said, you know what? I think we're just going to be what we are and who we are. And we're not going to try to provide a show just to attract people. So sometimes the younger generation, they want want a service that's more of a show. But can I tell you, and I love old people, one day I hope to be one. Amen? 
But sometimes older folks can get caught up into that. Well, I tell you, when I go to church, I want them to play them old hymns that I grew up listening to. And I want to sing all 17 verses of them songs that's written in the hymnal. I can tell you there are churches right now that are splitting over whether or not to put a screen on the wall. I don't think Jesus cares whether we got a screen on the wall or not. I don't think he's really you know, hung up one way or another. But the end of the day is we can't err in either way because if, if church just becomes about a show, we're saying, listen, I want church to be like Burger King. I want it my way right away. There are those that are coming and they're searching for nothing more than a show. I want the music to be like I want the music. I want the seats to be like I want the seats. You know, there are churches that are split over whether or not to have pews or chairs. Can't you imagine up in heaven? They're really worried about something like that, you know. But we get caught up because we want the show to be our kind of show. So there are those who are just searching for a show. I remember years ago, I used to always take our seniors to the state fair. And, and, and inevitably, after the seniors went around and they saw the different exhibits, they would all end up under the same tent. Do you know what it was? It was the cooking tent. And, and this guy that was really excited about pots and pans, more than I've ever seen anybody get excited about anything, and he was cooking with these pots and pans, and he's frying things and flipping things, and all these senior adults were gathered up and around that tent. They seemed so interested, and all they were doing was waiting on a free meal. So finally he would get done and he would say, would anyone like to sample? And they're like, I would. And he's passing out all these things. And they're eating and they're eating and they're eating. And as soon as they get done, before he gets to his sales pitch, before he gets to sell the first potter pan, they get up and leave that poor old feller empty-handed. And if we're not careful, we'll do that. I go to church and I'm there for what I can get out of it. But at the end of the day, I'm really not interested in an encounter with Jesus. Years ago, we also had a lot of southern gospel groups come in, and, and I love them. My favorite were, were, were the Greens. I can still see Tony Green and, and just great people. And we do that in our camp. We had, um, who do we have? Anyway, we've got the Martins this year. We've got the Wisnets this year. We had Karen Peck in the year of last year. Big groups. And people will come, and they say, oh, preacher, thank you for having this group. I just love southern gospel music. And I'll say, well, that's great. By the way, where do you go to church? Oh, we don't go to church. We just love Southern Gospel music. There's something wrong with that. Some came searching for a miracle, but it wasn't sincere. Lord, we just want a show. Lord, we just want something that we can walk away from feeling inspired and encouraged and built up. The Bible says in the last days that, 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 that the generation would seek after teachers who would tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. Can I ask you something? And I don't know much about your church, but I do know church in general. As a church, are we more interested in fishing for people? Or just kind of maintaining the aquarium. I got a couple of friends who are fishermen. A few years ago they told me this story. And as they told it, they meant it very innocently. But it really spoke to my heart. They, they both have the big bass boats. They've got the big diesel trucks to pull the big bass boats. One has a 275 uh, horsepower motor on his. And the other has a, a three and a quarter new E-Tech motor. And man, they're so proud of these boats and got more in their boats than I do in my house, I know. And man, they, they were telling me about how much they love to fish. And they said, we get up early in the morning, we go out and we crank the old diesel truck and let it warm up. And the smell of that diesel and the sound of them valves rattling, ah, just gets us in the mood for fishing. 
We back up. One of them's got this truck, and you put her in reverse, and he just lets it go. And it senses where the trailer hitch and the ball, and it connects. That just blows my mind. And he said that thing will clunk. He don't even have to get out. It just couples, and it's done. It's amazing. Anyway, and then he, he pulls that bass boat through town. He looks over at the picture windows on the store. And he sees the image of that great big old truck pulling that great big old boat. Great pride. Pulls it down to the river and he backs it in and fires up that old outboard and, and carrying on. He gets in the boat and backs it over, hooks it to the dock, puts his truck up where everybody that comes in can see his big truck, that big tandem axle trailer. He gets over in that boat and he goes out and goes up and down through the river doing lickety split and took me around one day. I used to have hair to that boat riding and blew it all out. And, uh, and he said, and then I, I just find me a cove and I turn the radio on my boat, listen to the, my music. And I said, now wait a minute. All that music and all that rattling and all that carrying on that big motor, did that keep you from catching fish? And he said, oh, half time I don't even take a fishing pole. He said, I just love fishing so much. To be honest, preacher, when I catch fish, it gets kind of messy. When I catch fish, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with them. When I catch fish, I got to clean them and cook them or maybe just throw them back. Yeah, preacher, I love fishing, just not catching fish. The 21st century church, I believe we've come to a point where we love fishing. But not so much catching fish. And let me say to you, it does get messy when you start catching them. When you start catching lost people that have just become saved people, it's messy. Whenever you have people coming in the church that had never been in church before, as a deacon looked at me one time and said, doesn't that boy know he's not supposed to have his hat on in the church? And I said, no, sir, he doesn't have a clue. Friend, may I ask you, are we committed to fishing or to catching fish? Number one, some came searching for a miracle. Number two, and I'll move quickly, some came searching for a mistake. Notice what the Bible says. It says, and the moment Jesus spoke words of healing to this crippled man, the cynics reared their ugly heads. If you flip over to the next chapter, Mark chapter 3, you'll see Jesus was once posed with a, a dilemma. A man came who had the withered hand and he asked Jesus to heal him, but it happened to be the Sabbath. And Jesus was between a rock and a hard place because either way he went, he was going to be wrong. If he healed the man, well, he was healing on the Sabbath, and that was wrong. If he didn't heal the man, well, he saw that poor man and didn't do anything for him. Friends, sometimes we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. In this situation in Mark 2, though, Jesus couldn't win for losing, but praise God, the man with the palsy couldn't lose for winning. Some came searching for a mistake. Let me just tell you, there will always be critics. Those who dislike the work of God, those who would say, well, I like things the way they were. I can take you to a church not too far from here. And a new pastor was called and he came and, and he preached the word and the church began growing and they doubled in size in about three years. But the cynics and the critics got on the warpath. Finally, getting enough votes, they voted the pastor out, and 
When the vote was announced after the Wednesday night business meeting that yes, the pastor was going to be asked to leave because of this vote, a dear sister stood to her feet and she said, Finally, I can have my church back. She said, Oh, preacher, those stories. I remember after a few years at the church I served and one Sunday we had 32 people get saved. I don't take any glory or credit for that. I didn't see it coming. God just showed up. We began baptizing people left and right. And in one particular deacon's meeting, one deacon spoke up and said, I need to, to say something. My heart was saying, no, you don't. You really don't. And he slid a little piece of paper across the table and he said, have any of you seen this water bill? And I thought, well, we must have had an issue, a problem. There's a busted line, something What are you talking about, brother? He said, this baptizing is costing us a fortune. Now that'll bless your heart real good. And I sat there brokenhearted thinking, so we're not rejoicing over the souls that are saved, but we're griping over the cost of the water to baptize them. So I'm a peacemaker. The Bible said, is as much lives within you to live peaceably with all people. So I came up with the solution. Literally, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get Clorox. I'm going to pour it in the baptistry and we're just going to leave the water in there from week to week, month to month. I mean, they do it with swimming pools, you know. You don't empty and and drain the swimming pool every time you go swimming. Anybody got a swimming pool? I just wonder if I was going to invite myself over. But anyway, so I took some Clorox and I can still hear it. And I'm dumping it because I'm like this and I'm dumping it. I think I put three or four bottles of Clorox. I didn't know. I mean, you know, how do you go and test strips? I don't know. So I just poured Clorox in there. A couple of weeks passed and it was time for baptism. Had our line of candidates on one side and they're getting ready and I prayed with them. I got the little hanky ready to go, you know. And I look out and the church is just packed with all of the brothers and sisters and all the family members ready for this baptism. And I stepped out on that first step and there I went. Like to broke my neck. Slicker and snot on the doorknob, y'all. You have never seen such. Don't put Clorox in the baptistry just to appease an old grumpy deacon. That's like commandment number 11, 12. There'll always be the the critics and there'll always be the cynics. You know, in big cities, there are restaurant critics that go into a restaurant and they're not looking for something good. They're looking for something bad. Like inspectors. You'll never have an inspector call a builder and say, I just want to congratulate you. You did everything great. But let them get something off a little bit and boy, they'll nail you to the wall. Those who dislike the work and those who deny the work. Some came searching for a mistake. Can you imagine that that anybody would have been displeased with Jesus and the great thing that happened in Mark 2? I just say this to you. Pray for revival this week. Attend and support. But when God begins doing things in your life and in the life of your church, from the pastor to the pew, because I'm one of the most cynical people alive, I have to be very, very careful not to look at every situation and find something faultful in it. It was the 100th year anniversary of the church, and the church 
decided they were going to make the oldest living member their guest of honor. And he was about 95 and they brought him and they set him at the altar and they honored him with a plaque and a bouquet of flowers. And then they took the microphone and put it in front of him and said, Brother Smith, you've been here longer than anyone else. And well, I guess you've seen a lot of changes in this church. And he grabbed that microphone and he said, Yes, I have. And I was against every one of them. The fact of the matter is that it's difficult for a church to keep their eyes on the prize and the master even in the midst of the storm. The church is a different age today. It's a different day today. But some things have never changed. Let me close with this, number three, because i got two minutes and 83 seconds. That's almost three minutes, 23 seconds. All right. Some came searching for a miracle, y'all. Some came searching for a mistake. But some came searching for a master. Notice, if you will, verse 12. What happened? And immediately this man who had just been healed, forgiven of his sins, he came in a dead man. He left out a live man. He came in helpless and hopeless, damned and doomed. But he came out of there delivered. He arose, he took up his bed, and he went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen it on this fashion, or we've never seen it this way before. Number three, some came searching for a master. How do we know this? It was as evidenced by their following. It was evidenced by their following. What did this man do when he had had an encounter with Jesus? He did not high-five Jesus and just leave. But the Bible would attest to us that this man became a devout follower. He realized that his life had been radically impacted by the gospel, had radically changed by Jesus. And from that point on, he was not just an admirer of the Lord, but he was a disciple of the Lord. He had a new master. He had a new master. Can I tell you something? It's important as believers that we realize who our master is. Are we truly following Jesus as a church? And I'm not being critical. I'm saying as a church, as the church. Or have we lost our perspective? I love the little, you know, the... How many of you saw a duck? How many of you saw a rabbit? How many of you was already asleep by that point? All right. I didn't see the rabbit coming. That was cool. I love Johnny. Johnny's in all of my stories. He looks a lot like you, maybe. I'll tell you a few stories about Johnny this week, but here's my Johnny story for this morning, okay? He's the cutest little thing. Um, back to what I was talking about. Johnny was a city boy. I'm a city boy, I had to admit it. But Johnny had just gotten old enough to go, and he was going to spend a whole summer on the farm with his grandma and grandpa. Any of you live on a farm? Man, what are we having for lunch? Uh-oh, I heard a, a clock. Dang, I'm done. Here we go. So Johnny goes and he spends his first week, first month. He's just going to be so excited. Well, the first morning, about 5 o'clock, Johnny's granddaddy comes in. He says, Johnny, come on, get up. He yanks his big toe and Johnny says, oh my goodness. He didn't even know there was a 5 in the a.m. Johnny got up and granddaddy took him out and showed him the barn and they cleaned the stalls and they fed the animals and they gathered the eggs. And about an hour, they did everything that needed to be done in the barn and, and they come back in and boy, the smell. Grandma was in there. She was making breakfast, cathead biscuits, red eye gravy, country ham. I mean, fried up some apples. It was good, y'all. Johnny came in, he ate and he ate and he ate till he couldn't eat anymore, and then he got missing. Grandpa looked around, he said, where's Johnny? Grandma said, I don't know, I hadn't seen him. 
Grandpa went in there, and there was Johnny stretched out on the bed fast asleep. Granddaddy sat out on the side of the bed and said, Johnny, what are you doing? Johnny said, well, Granddaddy, all of our work's done. I was just going back to sleep. Granddaddy said, no, Johnny. He said, you see, what we do out in the barn, those are our chores. But it's what we do out in the field that's our work. I wonder sometimes, and I pastored a traditional church for 18 years, how many times do we just do our work in the barn and then we're so tired, all we need to do is take a nap. And when we get out in the field, we're not doing any work. We're not making a difference. The church is not who we are in this building. The church is who we are out of this building. If ever before the church needs to be following the command of the Lord to go and to be the church it's now. Number two was evidenced by their fellowship. This man had an amazing story and four friends to thank for it every day. Can you imagine the fellowship of those folks from that point on? The Bible said they were amazed at what Jesus had done. Beloved, may I ask you, do we know why we do what we do? Do we know it's at the root of the church? Matthew 16, 18, and I will build my church upon the rock, the gospel, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I would submit to you that it's all too common for a church to forget her ultimate purpose as I close. I want to take you very quickly to an early Thursday morning. love Thursday mornings in New York City. It's trash day. When I was a little boy, I wanted to be a trash man, ride around the back of a trash truck, pick up everybody's trash and throw it in the back. I still think that'd be a wonderful thing to do every day. But on Thursday morning, I like to go around and just kind of look at everybody's trash. It's interesting all the things people throw out in New York City. This particular Thursday morning, I was going out and there was household garbage. There were old bird cages and old mattresses and worn out recliners and all kind of things just thrown out, waiting on the trash men to come by and take all of this. And as I rounded a corner, I looked upon this one pile of trash. I absolutely couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was this beautiful old wooden cross, hand-hewn, made certainly somewhere back in the day with love. This cross most definitely hung somewhere in a prominent place, maybe above an altar, maybe in someone's home. I looked around and I couldn't find any logical explanation for this cross being there except someone had thrown it away and discarded it. It had lost its significance and lost its meaning. How heartbreaking. I went up on top of this pile of trash and I rescued this old cross to be a reminder to me that no matter what we do as a church, no matter how eloquent our speaker, how wonderful our music, how sweet our fellowship, at the end of the day, it's all about the cross. And if we ever get to the point that we forget that or abandon our cross in any way, then we might as well pack her up, lock up the doors, and go do something else. For friend, it is all about the cross. As we close, I'll ask you the same question I began with. Why'd you come to church today? You looking for a miracle? You looking for a mistake? Or are you looking for a master? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.